Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick Chapter 69 Book Burning Discorporation, 25th of August, 1990 Oh, fuck! Aziraphale said. His feet, and indeed the floorboards beneath, vanished. For a moment, suspended in blinding blue light, he bore witness to Sergeant Shadwell's dismay. Hello, said the stunned witchfinder, shakily using his left hand to lower his right. Hello? Aziraphale, incorporeal for the first time in millennia, knew that he needed either transit or an anchor. Determined to avoid binding himself to the terrified fleeing Shadwell at all costs, he cast about for the first available matter composed of flesh. Leather was less than ideal, but given his surroundings there was plenty. The closest book with a hide cover was on the floor, and it was a stone's throw from the candle Shadwell had upset. This is ludicrous! Aziraphale thought, sounding out his atoms, which enclosed so much precious 17th-century paper. I suppose there's no escaping Agnes now. And as the flames sparked and took hold, his ancient floorboards and cheap paperback stock so much enticing tinder, Aziraphale put his strength into the one act that felt most urgent. He wondered if the book glowed with the force of his will. For interminable minutes, until the fire brigade finally turned up, the shop and its written marvels burned. All except one, which had, in spite of Aziraphale's efforts, begun to singe. Through the onslaught of acrid smoke and stale water, something living, something flesh and blood, burst through in spite of the rafters groaning. Someone Aziraphale knew. When Crowley hit the charred floor, his aura, a wave of desolate panic, rippled through Aziraphale like nausea. If he'd still been in possession of a heart, it would have stuttered. When Crowley's frantic water-slick hand fell on the book and grasped it, Aziraphale's resolve wavered. He no longer needed to remain inert. He'd done his job at preservation. How easy it would be to infiltrate Crowley's mortal coil to make himself known using Crowley's lips. Don't, Aziraphale told himself as Crowley shoved the book in his pocket and ran. Crowley is capable and you're needed elsewhere. He'll get you out of this wreck and then... He stayed long enough to feel the tremor in Crowley's hands as he gave over driving to the power of thought alone and the brush of Crowley's fingers as he flipped pages and swore helplessly under his breath. How easy it would be to forget should and surrender to want. When the blaupunkt clicked off at the cassette's end, Crowley reached out in agitation to hit several buttons, even though there was no need. But the split second of contact was enough. Aziraphale slid guiltily from the book cover to Crowley's skin, and radio waves whisked him away. Disorientation, 25th of August, 1990 Drive or be driven, Crowley knew was his only option. 
so he pushed his resolve to the limit as he left the fussy gentleman and his gratuitously small dog in a cloud of smoke and dust. The Bentley and himself he could save. For a while at least, or for as long as it took him to arrive in Lower Tadfield. It was a temporary fix, a means to an end, and he dreaded it. There had been a moment in the midst of those other flames, his safe haven from many a storm, as it crumbled to ashy, wet rubble and forced the breath from his lungs. He thought he'd felt something like what Aziraphale had pointed out about Tadfield the night they hit the cyclist. Oh, Lord, that girl, Crowley thought, eyes falling askance to where he'd set the book aside on the seat. I should return it to her if we live through this. What use do I have? What use he had for a priceless antique volume, what cause his aching heart had for covetousness exceeding Aziraphale's the night he'd retrieved it from the Bentley floor, was his shame. He hadn't snatched the book out of the sense it would be game-changingly useful. Crowley had taken it because it felt, deep down, like the only shred of Aziraphale he had left. And as he drove on, it was withering to cinders with the car's upholstery before his very eyes. He peeled his left hand from the hell-hot steering wheel and grasped at it, his breath hitching. What remained of the book, a charred spine, was smeared with glowing ash beneath his palm. Revelation, 26th of August, 1990 Think of it like this, Newt said so softly, Anathema had to lean in. Do you really want to be a descendant for the rest of your life? Anathema gave him a dubious look, clutching the book to her chest. I'll be one no matter what. It's your decision, Newt conceded, his demeanour softening with apology. How about some tea? That'd be lovely, Anathema murmured, letting the hand that bore the book drop to her side. She grabbed what remained of Agnes's first volume, too, and wandered over to the hearth as Newt left the room. She dropped to her knees. Let me think. Flames licked invitingly in the grate, tame and contained. How hungry they looked, insatiable. You think I can bear it, don't you, Agnes? Anathema said sourly, running her fingers over the charred spine's ashy gilt. She fed it carelessly to the fire, just to prove to herself that she could, in fact, execute the action she'd resolved to take next. She slid the second intact book halfway into the fire, before losing her nerve, which cost her part of the spine and binding. It crackled and went up in a curling gasp of white smoke that escaped up the flue as she yanked the book back. She beat out the smouldering with the hem of her robe. Shifting off her knees so that she could sit cross-legged, Anathema anxiously opened the book. Let the jest be on you, crowed Agnes's crabbed handwriting on the flyleaf. What did you expect with an absurd title like that? On the next page, where the printed matter began, the title differed from what was on the spine. Ye Nutter Cookbook, being a record of delicacies for all occasions, it read. 
Newt rushed in when he heard Anathema's cackling, sloshing both mugs' steaming contents. What a joker! Anathema said, tossing his words back at him with tears of laughter in her eyes. Oh, well, replied Newt, bending to read over her shoulder, abashed. Guess I had it right. Restoration, the 25th of April, 2017 I don't understand how I let this go, Crowley groused from the front seat, still rubbing oil into the Bentley's well-loved upholstery with a grubby rag. Usually it takes care of itself. You've been too distracted lately to run that mental subroutine, Sophia said, borrowing one of her dad's endearingly unfunny lines. So, now you've got to clean your car like the rest of us. Thanks for your help, Crowley muttered, eternally determined to sound as if he didn't mean it. Sophia switched off the dustbuster and peeled back the floor mat, studying the back seat footwell. It smelled of oil and a whiff of brimstone. Given the car's history, it made sense, but it also made her vaguely nauseous. She stepped back, hand pressed to her unyielding stomach. Crowley popped up in the front and hung with his arms over the seat, peering at her in concern. Maybe you oughtn't to be doing this, he said fretfully. Fumes and dust can't be good for, well... Proudly patting her bump, Sophia revved the dustbuster and got back to it. Oh, don't be daft. Adam will remember his roots if something goes wrong, Crowley sighed. Take it from me. Tell your paranoia to shut it, said Sophia pointedly, shoving the nose of the dustbuster as far under the front seat as she could. There's no proof that cleaning is... She pushed harder. Something resisted with such force that she withdrew the handvac in shock. What's the matter? Crowley asked as she chucked the dustbuster onto the gravel behind her. Sophia bent forward until her cheek nearly rested on the floor, snaking her arm beneath the seat. There's something under here, she said absently, scrabbling until her fingers scraped something that felt like the Bentley's leather upholstery, only if it had gone brittle. Azure fails forever leaving things, Crowley said above her. So it would just figure, eh? Closing her fingers on one corner of the object, oblong, possessed of some heft, Sophia dragged what she was sure would be an addition of Wilde or Shakespeare into the daylight. Careless of him to leave this, she said, flipping the antique volume over so she could read the spine. Crowley shrugged, rolling his eyes, leaning forward to read too. Yeah, you know how it goes. No. Sophia gasped, running her fingers over the embossed title. Is this some kind of joke? If it is, said Crowley, sounding about as gobsmacked as Sophia felt. You'd better ask Adam. Sophia's mind whirled through what she knew of the events of nearly 27 years ago. You said the car was on the curb the next morning, good as new, she whispered, her heart stuttering in joy and disbelief. And the books in his ear failed shop, they'd all been restored, plus some that hadn't been there before. She climbed into the back seat, opening the book in her lap. I always dreamed of seeing, 
Crowley was staring at her like he expected infernal retribution to rain down at any moment. It never occurred to me to check, he blurted, climbing over the seat so he could settle beside her, blinking at the frontispiece in amazement. The spine was all that was left, so I gave it to your mum. I didn't expect this particular twist, okay? It's fine, Sophia said, cradling the book, companionably bumping Crowley's shoulder. You're good at losing things. You lost my husband for a whole eleven years. Rub it in, why don't you? replied Crowley gloomily, but he leaned into her with a smile. Crown of Thorns will continue in Chapter 70.